Amen. 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 Church, you may have a seat. Go and grab your Bibles. Grab a seat. And we're going to be in Malachi chapter 4 today, so it might take you a minute to find that. And that's okay, because we're going to take a minute before we even get there. Now listen, I promise to get you out before dinner. Okay? We good? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 1 this morning, so you can start getting that direction. And if you're taking notes, which I encourage, you can title this sermon, Turning Brokenness into Beauty. Turning Brokenness into Beauty. And that's what we're going to see here this morning in this text. And we don't have to look very far or very long before we realize that we're living in a broken world. I mean, sometimes it hits closer to home. It makes it even more real. Kind of like the UVA tragedy this week. Live in a broken world. Live in a world that's full of murder and malice. Live in a world where the most vulnerable in the world are the most neglected. I just think about all the children around the world who do not have a home or a family to call their own. In Virginia, just take this for example, there's over 5,000 kids in our foster care system in Virginia. Over 5,000, 600 of which, more than 600, are waiting to be adopted. So here we're people who are pro-life and anti-abortion because God creates life. Anything that destroys life is murder, and yet there's still so much need in our area. We know human trafficking is an issue around the world, but it's right in our backyard as well. And you don't have to look very far within ourselves or in our family to see that sicknesses, infections, health conditions are a very real dynamic of living in a broken world. I was talking to my wife recently about this thing called midlife crisis, right? Down there somewhere within midlife, I've come to see that. But I was talking to her, I'm like, you know, I can see why that's a thing. You know, you're not able to do the things you once were. You start hurting a little more than you once did. Can't see quite as well as you could before. You know, my, my family still jokes on me that there was a time in not too distant past to where I threw my back out, blowing my nose. I can see why midlife crisis is a thing. It's a shame. You know, there's tensions at every turn in our culture right now. We don't have to go far. Again, we just got through a, an exciting political season. Who doesn't look forward to those? My goodness. But here's the deal, and even when it comes to politics, I tried, I'm going to try to offend everybody in the room this morning, so we'll see if I can do that. All Christians should be able to say this. Praise the Lord for President Biden. See? Republicans in the room's like, wait a minute, we're talking politics. Well, here's the deal. Romans 13 tells us that there's no authority except from God, and all authorities that exist are instituted by God. It also says in Proverbs 21.1, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. So God establishes governmental structure. So we may disagree with people's agendas and their thought processes, but we trust the Lord. That's what brings unity. It's the gospel that brings unity through politics, through the conflicts that we see. I mean, you don't have to look far again to see the brokenness in the sinfulness of the world. I mean, just look around. There's people actually right now have Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving. Sinners. <laughs> but as we look around, it's easy to get frustrated and maybe even fearful when we see the evil in a broken world that we 
live in. And sometimes we can get to a point where we really start questioning God. And that's what we've seen throughout the series. God, how could you let this happen? God, are you blind to all the brokenness? God, how could you be good when all I see is bad? God, why don't you do something? I don't know if you've been to any of those places, but uh, I've been there in my life. Just questioning why, how, do something. That's what we see with the Israelites here in Malachi. Past weeks, we've seen in Malachi 2, verse 17, them crying out to the Lord. They say, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight. And he delighted with them, or else where is God of justice? They say in Malachi 3, 15, so now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. So what they're saying, in other words, is God, if you are good, and if you are just, then why have you wiped out the wicked? Do something. How could you let that happen? All this sin go unpunished. And there's a caution in here for us, and I think we can easily fall into. It's easy to look at the sinfulness of others while having a blindness to a sinful brokenness within us. Jesus touches on this in Matthew 7. He says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? See, we're quick to call out sin while being blind to the sin we're in. And I think we, we, we see sin, and we, as who we are, just people, we like to rack and stack sin. We create our own sin severity scale. Like, I don't do this, so I'm doing pretty good. And they do this, and so they're obviously bad. And we do these things. I'm not murdering. Yeah, you know, I may look at some things that are inappropriate, but I'm not a murderer, right? We go to extremes. Yeah, I told a little white lie, right? But I didn't commit adultery. So we have these, this pendulum that swings back and forth because we like to justify things, but that's not how God sees sin. God sees sin as one sin, whatever that sin is, separates us from his presence because of his holiness and requires justice because he's righteous. One sin, whatever that sin is. Isaiah 59 tells us that our iniquities are separating us from God. And sins are hiding his face from us so that he doesn't even hear us. So here's an exercise that we can do this morning. This, this, will, be, this will be weird, okay? So raise your hand if you've committed sin this week. Yeah, that's strange, isn't it? Have you ever done it before? Sinner. Now, I'm not doing it now, I'll just show you what to do. Yes, I've sinned. This creates two things. It's not like, yeah, look at me. This is good to sin. We have freedom in Christ, so I can sin whatever I want to. By no means, Paul says. What this should do in us is, one, if you're looking for a perfect church, you may want to keep on looking. You see all those hands that went up? Everybody. And when you find a perfect church, don't go to it. You know why? Because you're there. You're going to ruin it. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome to the Way Church. You know, we, we try to bring encouragement. That's what we try to do here. Encouraging place to find home. So it should do that. I hope we're all sinners in need of a Savior. There's no perfect people, but there are forgiven people. It should also bring to us to a point to where we say, uh-oh, like we're in some trouble. 
when we see that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Isaiah 64 says all of us have become like something unclean, and our righteous acts, those things that we do that we think are so good, are like polluted garments in God's sight. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says there's certainly no one righteous on earth, no one who does good and never sins. That's a lot of people. No one. I think we fall into that somewhere. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 says if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. When we look at brokenness, we have to be reminded that things didn't begin with all this brokenness that we see. God created this environment after he created all things, spoke them into existence, then formed man, created woman, and he said things are very good. Until they weren't. You see this first couple that God created then considered the lie the enemy told them. That God's holding better back from you. And they believed him. This is called sin. Choosing our own way over God's way. And then sin broke into the world and ruined the right relationship that we had with God. First sin. The relationship with God was ruined, which immediately led to a ruining of our relationships with others. It's like the anti-greatest commandment, right? Greatest commandment, love God. Second, like it, love others. This led to a lack of love for God because we love ourselves so much. Broke our relationship, but then ruins our relationships with others. And you have to look far. Again, first man and woman sinned. The next generation, their kids, murdered. Isn't that wild? Things didn't begin with all this brokenness. And what we're going to see here is things will not end with all this brokenness. But right now we're stuck in this in-between. Meaning God will one day fully and finally turn all of the brokenness into beauty. But we're waiting. Which brings us finally to Malachi 4 verse 1. So what God's going to remind him is that he's still in control. He's still keeping his promises and he's not forgotten his people. He says this, Malachi 4 verse 1. God says, For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant, everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. Reminder to God's people in Malachi's day, reminder of God's people today. God is not blind to the brokenness, but is patient with the rebellious. That's good news for us. He's not blind to the brokenness of the world, but he's patient with the rebellious, also known as those who sin. Which is all y'all. Y'all already admitted it. Right? Room full of sinners. But he's patient with us. There's a day coming when God's patience will end and his full wrath will be poured out for the punishment of sin. This is the reality that we live in. It's called the day of the Lord throughout the scriptures. And the day of the Lord is a promise from the Lord that he will return. And it's not going to be pleasant. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 9, says it like this. He says, The Lord will not does not delay his promise as some understand delay. And this is talking about his return. He says, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Lee says this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved. Sound familiar? And the earth and its works on it will be disclosed. Since all things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because on that day, the heavens will dissolve with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a newer earth with right, where righteousness dwells. This day is coming. And this is the gravity of the reality that we live in. God does and will judge all people. Whether you die before he comes back or you're alive when he comes back, we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged by what we've done with our life. Daniel 12, 2 says it like this, Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid, that is, earn the wages for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Again, this is one of those uh-oh type verses, if we're honest with ourselves. We are seeing Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from a holy God with eternal punishment. You get what you deserve. God is just. And so there's punishment for sin. And the question that God calls us to consider is then, with this in mind, the Lord's day is coming. He is returning to fully and finally pour out all of his wrath for the punishment of sin. Who can stand? Or, who can be saved? Who can be saved from this day? Romans 14, verse 10 says like this for we all stand before the judgment seat of God for it is written as I live says the Lord every knee will bow to me and every tongue will praise God so then each of us will give an account of himself to God so who can stand well he answers this God does in Malachi 4 verse 2 who can stand he says but for you who fear my name the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from a stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Those who fear my name. And when we come to these fear passages, it's a reverence and it's a holy fear because he is a holy God. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. But this fear and faith are two sides of the same right relationship coin with God. Fear and faith. And those who turn from God in this life will receive the full weight of God's wrath. This is the reality that we live in. But those who turn to God in this life will be rescued from God's wrath being brought from brokenness to the coming beauty of his new creation in his presence for eternity. Where he says in Malachi 3.7, God says, return to me and I will return to you. Turn to me. Return to me. And I will turn or return to you. Again, we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death, but it says... In Romans 6.23, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how can we stand? It's not under our righteous acts. We've already seen that God sees those as filthy rags or polluted garments. It is a right relationship in Christ Jesus. We talked about a couple weeks ago, I think it was last week, week before. If I was to ask you, you're standing before God for judgment. He says, why shall I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And if your response starts with I, because I did, then you stand condemned. The only right response is because Jesus did. Jesus paid the price for my sin so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So when Jesus says it is finished on the cross, it means paid in full. The wages of sin that you owed was paid in full on your behalf, credited to your account at the moment you believe. His blood applied to your account for the payment of sin. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned, but you're given life for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how about for those who are not? Jesus says in Matthew or John chapter 3, Jesus says, anyone who believes in him, being himself, is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Then we just sing, worthy is your name. Peter says in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. It's through him and him alone that we receive salvation. And you don't receive salvation the moment you believe. You're secure in Jesus then, but the salvation comes when God pulls out his wrath, that you will be saved from God's wrath because Jesus took your place. Paul talks about waiting for the day of salvation. It's a guarantee at the moment of your faith, secured, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And here's what we look at here. The reality that we live in is all of us are enduring until the day, the Lord's day, until it's coming. All of us, whether you believe in Jesus or reject Jesus, all of us are still enduring this thing we call life. There's still suffering, there's still hurt, there's still brokenness, and we know this. So all of us are enduring, but I believe we're enduring in two specific ways. Number one, we're enduring with certainty. And here's the certainty. Those without Christ. This world is the closest thing to heaven that you will ever experience. But those with Christ, this world is the closest thing to hell that you'll ever experience. Certainty. Those without Jesus, this is as best as it gets. This is as good as it gets. This broken, messed up world is the best thing you'll ever experience because eternity is coming, and eternity aside from Christ Jesus is eternity separated from God, receiving just punishment because he's just. Eternity with Jesus. This is as worse as it gets. Because one day we'll all be in the presence of the Lord, celebrating, worshiping. And the certainty that we come with is that if you're in Jesus, you will be saved. If you're in Jesus, you have God's presence with you right now. And we're called to be together to remind ourselves of this, to endure, to encourage one another, to endure. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says it like this. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. We need to gather 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day he's talking about is the day of Christ coming back. So we encourage each other to endure because of who Christ is, endure because of who you are in Christ Jesus, endure because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we can't get through this together until either God calls us home or he comes back. We endure through all suffering, through all sicknesses, through all situations. We endure because we can, because of who Christ is, not because of who we are. So we endure with a certainty and we endure with urgency. Everyone will stand before Jesus for judgment. So the urgency is, is the urgency to one, respond to the gospel. The good news. That we've all sinned and fall short of the God, glory of God. But God himself stepped out from heaven. Jesus lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Dying in our place, rising again, conquering death, ascending back into heaven, making a way for us so that all who believes is giving eternal life in it called a new creation. This is an urgency to respond to the gospel. This is an urgency for all who would believe to go with the gospel. We are called to go and proclaim, called to go and share the good news. This is what I want us to feel the weight of this. You know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the church movement was all, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone, right? Respond because I'm scared to death of going to hell. Kind of left Jesus' love out there at some point. But there's a reality here that we have to know and cannot neglect. We can love people all the way to hell sometimes without sharing the gospel. The day that Jesus will return is coming. But many people ask, well, how do we know when is it going to be? Jesus' own disciples ask, how do we know? Like, when, when are you coming back? How will we know when that day is approaching? And Jesus in Matthew 24 describes it like labor pains. Which is good because many of you know my wife and I are on baby watch, 2022, something. Any day now, we're expecting our newest born and scheduled actually tomorrow if he doesn't come this afternoon, so there's that. But how do we know we're expecting? Well, God's created my wife, Rachel, to show signs that she's pregnant. Started with sickness, right? Sickness. And she starts, you know, gaining a little baby bump. She's super pretty having. Just clarify. Beautiful wife. But as the day approaches, her body starts doing certain things, right? Braxton Hicks starts going through this, basically practicing is what I call it, like practicing for labor, getting the body ready. Then it turns into contractions. And the baby starts moving, getting lower, and these things start happening, and she feels like the day is coming. And that's been this week, right? Every day we wake up, we go in the hospital today. The day is coming because these things are getting more regular and coming faster. And she's getting more uncomfortable. The day is coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24, I want you to see this. We should have it on the screen. Matthew 24, verse 5. His disciples ask, how do we know? He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
see that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. They will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so let's be honest, when you read that, don't you feel like these signs of labor pains are coming a little more rapidly now? I mean, just look at the brokenness, and that's what Jesus is describing here, the brokenness, and it will continue to multiply. But what I want us to see here is, yes, the end is coming. We're one day closer to Jesus coming back. But we have to see that we all have an enemy while we're stuck in this in-between. All of us, whether you believe in Jesus for salvation of your soul or you reject Jesus because you want to be your own God. That's the two choices we make. We have an enemy that is a deceiver, a liar, and a murderer. Call him the devil, the enemy, Satan. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He gives this picture of the superhighway to hell. He says in Matthew 7, verse 13, For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who will go through it. And we ask, why? Why would so many go through this path of following their own desires, their own selves, that leads to destruction? Because we have an enemy who's very tempting and deceptive. I think about it like this. Let me clarify. Not all hunters are deceptive and enemies. My father-in-law likes to deer hunt, among other things. But I find it very interesting what many hunters do, especially, you know, especially if you have own property, which they do. During the non-hunting season, they plant. They plant food plots in order to keep the deer in a certain area, not to stray away. They want them to stay in this little area because it's so nice and so comfortable. And man, these things are really growing well. I can't believe it's like a buffet all year long. And so they stay there, and they're comfortable, and they're just doing well and enjoying life until one day. This friendly person that's been feeding them and caring for them so well all year long Shoots them, right? Dead. Bambi. Sorry. But isn't this like what the enemy does? I'm not anti-hunting. Jesus says in John 8 that he's a murderer and a liar. And the father lies because it's from his nature. And he lures people in by really appealing to our own temptations, our own desires, our own flesh, because we like what we like, and those things feel good, but they never satisfy. Have you know the sin that you get stuck in, we've all been there, satisfies for a second, and then it doesn't, and we got to feed it more, and feed it more. And that's where Satan keeps us, in this little area to where we need more, because we like it for a minute, then we need more of it. And what it does is it destroys us, 
And it's leading us to a path that leads to destruction, eternal separation from God because we'll never surrender to God because we like what we like so much. I hear all the time, like, if I come to Jesus, then I have to leave aside all these things that I enjoy. I like my getting drunk. I like my having sex outside of marriage. I like pornography. I like all these things. Do I have to leave those aside? I say, how about you come to Jesus first? Right? Come to Jesus and let him change your desires because that's what he does. You can't come to Jesus and have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you and still love these things that you used to love. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 14, he says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. There's a way that does lead to life, that doesn't lead to destruction, but it causes us to surrender ourselves and submit to our Savior. Jesus says, I am the way. That's it. Not a way. One of many ways. The way to life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to Father except through me. It's not through your righteous acts. It's not through all these good things you do. Surely, you're, most of you all are good people. I'm sure most of you all are. But you're not good enough. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We're not good enough in and of ourselves. That's why God had to do something for us. That Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we can live. And so I come to this and think through the gravity, the certainty, the severity, the urgency that we have. What do we do with it? There's a reason, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you came to faith in Christ Jesus, you weren't automatically bottle-rocketed back up to heaven. He left you here for a purpose. Isn't that wild? Why? For one, he's still working in you to make you more in the image of Christ Jesus. But also, there's a purpose why he's placed you where he's placed you. And what I need to see is there's a gospel urgency that we're all called to have. Jesus said, go preach the gospel to all creation. And we hear preach, we think of someone like me, right? That's what I do, I preach. Preach means teach. We're all called to go teach, share the gospel. Romans 10 says that faith comes from what is heard, hearing about the word of Christ. Romans 1.16, the power is the gospel. For everyone who believes. By God's design, he works through you and I to go share the gospel combined with his spirit working that people come to faith. And that is the only way. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we not share our faith, share the gospel more? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm convinced. If I ask you to raise your hand saying, do you think you share the gospel enough? I think everyone would say no. If you shared the gospel this past year, I bet there's many would say, no, I haven't. Two years. Maybe my whole life I've never shared the gospel with someone. And my question would be, why? If people only come through faith by you sharing the gospel, which the Bible says, by God's design, then why are we not sharing the gospel? I need to feel the gravity of this. Do you want to impact the West End? Start loving people in a way that displays the gospel and then share the gospel out loud with words. So many times we do all these good things and we say we're letting our light shine before men. Guess what's not going to happen? They're not going to say you walk into an old lady across the street and say, hey, you must be a Christian. Show me the way to salvation. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We do these things because we are changed by Christ Jesus and we want to display Christ Jesus and represent him well, but we have to share the gospel at some point. My question is why? Why don't we? There's a couple reasons I'm convinced, and just from talking to folks. 
But some of it is like, we really kind of don't know what to say. Like, we know the gospel, we believe the gospel, but articulating the gospel is something totally different to a stranger. We don't know what to say. So I'm going to back up these slides, because what I want to do, I want to start with God's design. And I'm going to walk through, how do you share the gospel? Because I want to remove that barrier, dare I say, excuse. I don't really know what to say. Others are, I'm scared, I'm going to get a question I don't know. Just say, I don't know. That's crazy. Or I'm scared to make it feel weird or awkward. Okay, are you more scared to make them feel weird or awkward than going to hell? I mean, we have to get outside of ourselves and start submitting to the Lord and caring about people around us. I'm convinced we need to pray, Lord, help me to see people as you see people. Because then your heart will start breaking. As you walk through Food Line, Kroger, Short Pump Mall, if you start seeing people as God sees people, one, you'll see lostness and a need for hope. And God, that, the people that are created in God's image, image bearers. And so why don't we share the gospel? Well, let's start with how do you share the gospel? And what I'm about to show you on the screen, we're going to walk through it together. And then tomorrow, since everyone in here has subscribed to our Monday emails that we send out, you can do that through the Connect card, we're going to send out resources called Three Circles. We're going to send out resources how to share the gospel. This is one of them, three circles. And so it starts with God's design. God, as we talked about, created this environment that was very good, as he intended. Until what creeped in? Sin. Sin creeped in. Rebellion creeped in, which caused brokenness. We live in a broken world because of sin. But there's a remedy to the brokenness. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. That God created us to be with him, but our sin has messed that up. But he's made a way in Christ Jesus that whoever would confess Jesus as Lord, believe in him, will be saved. Will be. And everyone who repents and believes will be saved. That's the promises of Scripture. It's that easy. And so then what? Then you are restored, renewed, recovered. That relationship that you're meant to have in the first place. And you pursue the Lord and you're brought back into that design that God meant to have in the first place. That you were created to be in a relationship with him. It's been broken, but Jesus did something about it. So everyone who believes has that relationship restored, brought back into his family as his sons and his daughters, and we pursue him with our life. You know, we share the gospel here every week, but I'm convinced sometimes we need to see it. Then we ask, where are you? Where are you in this? Are you still in the brokenness? Or have you been restored, made new by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone? And so we start talking about turning brokenness into beauty. This is what we're looking at. It's a personal level, and it's at a global level. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means anyone who's put their faith in Jesus for salvation, forgiveness of sin, is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. Ephesians 2 says it, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. There's a transaction that takes place that Jesus paid for, that he initiated, and we just choose. 
But then one day, there's a day that's coming. And Revelation 21, 1 through 4, shows this new creation that's happening. Looking ahead, Jesus will, retor- will return. Final judgment will happen, and things will be made as they were. And as you through the course of Scripture, throughout history, we see God's design, it broken, but God continued to come closer and closer, pursuing his people until it's gone back to God's design again. Revelation 21 Verse 1 through 4 says this. This is John seeing this vision that God's showing him of things to come. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a voice from the throne Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. This is what we look forward to. This is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. This is what we talk about in 1 Corinthians 11 every time we take communion every Sunday, that we look back to see the severity and sins but the goodness of God, and we look forward to the coming day when he will return again. This is a promise. When the Bible says hope, it means promise. This will happen. So what do we do with this right now? Right now we're in the in-between. We live in a broken world. And many of us are broken people in a broken world. Meaning you're still living in your brokenness because you've rejected Jesus. We talk about this a lot. You can get a lot of head knowledge. I know a lot about Jesus and miss Jesus because you never trusted to submit your life to Jesus. Do you trust him? Have you put your faith in him? Meaning, God, you have whatever you've given me. It's all yours. The blank check is what I've heard it called. All my life is yours. You calling me to Afghanistan, I'm going. Right? You calling me to give, I'm, I'm doing that. If you calling me to adopt, I'm doing that. Whatever you're calling me to do, I am doing it. Regardless of the sacrifice I make now, because the eternal weight of glory is worth it. God is good. This isn't a turn to Jesus so you don't burn in hell. That's not what this is. It is. But if that's your thought, then you're missing Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the joy. Jesus is the love. When you turn to Jesus, when you see Jesus, there's no love like you'll ever experience like the love of Jesus. He makes you new. Why do I not want to do things that are displeasing to him? Because I love Jesus, because he first loved me. He would take a wretched, black-hearted sinner like me and call me his son. This is a Jesus we serve. So you come to Jesus with your garbage, with your junk, because he's the one that changes us. And he will. That's a promise. He will. He will make you a new creation. And at that moment, we stand through all suffering and persecution, confident and bold because we are secure in Christ Jesus. He'll seal with the Holy Spirit until the day he comes or we go to him first. Either way, we are certain because we have Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is the good news of the gospel. 
So again, I stand up here not understanding why anyone would reject this. This is the truth. So I encourage you, if you're in that brokenness and you still yet to receive the newness of life that God gives, turn to him at this moment. It's simple as, see, God, I see my sin, and I'm turning you to forgiveness because I know that you forgive me through Christ Jesus. I don't understand all of it. I don't understand the doctrine of salvation completely or sanctification or justification, but I know that somehow your blood on the cross counted for me. And I trust in him. And then walk in the newness of life that God gives confident that one day he is returning and we can stand with full confidence that we are secure and safe from God's wrath in Christ Jesus. Until then, Christian, we have a job to do. Let this break our hearts for those that don't know Jesus because the reality of the hell is coming and it's real. And we don't know what anyone, no one in here is guaranteed tomorrow. No one in your workplace is guaranteed tomorrow. No one, no one in your schools is guaranteed tomorrow. So what are we doing with it? Are we just bystanders and watching everyone go down the super highway to hell, or are we going to jump in and do something about it? Like, I, I'm getting, maybe it's my old crusty ways are starting to creep in. I think that happens as you get older. But I don't have time to play church anymore. We don't have time to play Christian. It's time to get in the battle. Last thing I'm leaving with, I'm going to go invite the band up because we might be here until lunch. Last thing. The movie Hacksaw Ridge, and maybe I wouldn't advise it for everyone. It's pretty graphic, but it is what it is. War movie about this non-combatant that enlists because of religious reasons. And there's this scene where they're up on this ridge, and they're just getting bombarded with enemy fire. And to get down this ridge is a big rope, hundreds of feet. And Ben, you guys can come on up. It's turning night, and People are just going down, enemy fires all over the place. And it's getting dark. And this man would crawl and grab one of his wounded and pull him back. Pull him back, pull him back, all the way to the ridge, and then lower him down to safety. Hundreds of feet below. And he would do it again. Go back, fire all around him, go back again. Crawl, dodge enemy fire, grab another one. Pull him back. He keeps doing it over and over. And he's doing, he's praying. He says, God, give me just one more. He grabs one more. He goes back, God, give me one more. One more. And he goes back and grabs another one. God, give me one more. And he keeps doing this all night long. God, one more. And he keeps going. Hands bleeding. Fire all around. Risking his own life. God, give me one more. And as I see this, I wonder if that's our heart as we go into this culture that's completely lost. God, give me one more. I'm convinced that's not our heart because we're not praying, God, create a new heart in me, the heart that you have for the lostness around us. God, give me one more. That prayer will change. This culture will change this West End. You want to reach people for Christ? God, give me one more. And see what God does with that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for your faithfulness because you are so good. We thank you for your presence that's with us. We thank you for forgiveness that you give us, Father. We thank you for your patience by not wiping us out when we deserved it, by giving us time to respond to your gospel until there's no time left. 
And Lord, right now, I just ask that you create an urgency within us. Father, help us to see you more clearly, Father, through all the noise. Help us to see you through all the stress, the anxieties. Help us to see you, Father. And Lord, continue to shape our hearts for you because only then will we have the heart for others. And so start with us this morning. Help us to fall more and more in love with, you all, with who you are and with you because of what you've done, what you're doing, because you are so good. Well, refresh us with your spirit. Remind us of your promises. Remind us that we're not alone, that you're with us and you've placed other people in our lives to walk along with us, to spur us on, to endure knowing that you're working and you're moving. And Lord, I ask that you open our eyes to see the lostness and the brokenness around us. Help us remember the gospel in our own lives, that you saved us to yourself when we didn't deserve it or ask for it. Romans 5 tells us we were enemies, but yet you loved us and died for us. Open our eyes to the hurting around us and lead us with a sense of urgency to proclaim the good news of your grace and love to those who are completely missing it. Lord, lead us in this day. Let us live a life of worship to you, totally surrendered to who you are and the calling and purpose you have in our lives. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Blessing and honor, strength and glory and power. 
We thank you because you are worthy of all of our praise. We adore you, Lord. Thank you for being King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for what you're doing here in this place this morning. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.